Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. All right, Chris, good to have you back. Um, so Chris, you know, offline, we, we had a conversation um, discussing about some sovereign, sovereign debt. And specifically, uh, we addressed some concerns about a potential sovereign debt crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind sharing with our listeners you know, what you're seeing out there? Yeah, for sure. I, as I've said, you know, this has been a long time coming, and it's just the culmination of the excesses that built up over the last several decades in the private sector and have found their way to um, the sovereign debt balance sheets and, uh, you know, the, a lack of uh, liquidity and poor capital allocation over a number of years combined with deteriorating demographics has made, made it a, a top issue right now. Uh, unfortunately, I do think we have a, a very real chance of having a sovereign debt crisis, not just um, in Europe, because it's starting to develop in Europe right now with sovereign yields blowing out. We're seeing Italy spike today. Uh, but even in the U.S., uh, at the end of the day, you know, we really got to the point where the only entity that was able to finance our rising federal deficits was our central bank via QE. And we always knew we could rely on monetary policy until inflation became a political problem. Not that we haven't had inflation for a number of years, but it's only been in the last kind of 12 to 18 months that it's become a political issue. And once it's become a political issue, um, you know, you have to make real choices. So Unfortunately, I do think we're going to see a sovereign debt crisis. The Russia-Ukraine war has taken, accelerated the timetable for this. Um, Europe's in a very difficult position because inflationary pressures are continuing to rise, and there are already entering kind of recessionary windows to where any slowdown will tip their major economies into a recession. Um, and are they going to allow... You know, Italy to restructure its sovereign debt, or are they going to go back and rely on more quantitative easing to suppress yields, which will further exacerbate currency weakness and accelerate inflationary pressure? So they're in a tough spot, and the position we're in is is not that different. The only difference is we don't have to deal with regional sovereign uh, yields, but we're going to have to deal with our own sovereign yields. And quite frankly, I don't think the Fed is going to have sufficient relief in inflation that as liquidity conditions tighten up in the back half of the year, they'll be able to reverse QT and begin QE. But that's going to be the number one issue to watch as we move into 2023 is do they... Does inflationary conditions come down fast enough, which today they are not, and I do not expect much relief from energy prices and zero relief from food. It's actually going to get worse. Um, And if they don't come down and yet we enter into our own recessionary conditions with elevated inflation, that's going to put tremendous pressure on federal deficits. And the only way we can fund those deficits is then crowding out the private sector, which will further slow growth and raise um, capital costs, put pressure on, on margins and put pressure on multiples. Or will the Fed quickly reverse course, try to use yield curve control, reestablish QE, in which case we have to raise longer-term inflationary expectations, which, again, pressures margins, raises cost of capital, um, and probably bring down multiples. So kind of a not necessarily a, 
a win-win situation for risk assets for sure. But yeah, I think we're at the beginning of of making the tough choices that we all knew were, was coming, and, and now it's time, and we're going to be forced to make them. Unfortunately, it'll also be done on a political calendar, uh, so we don't, we're not going to get real-time results and, and real-time choices as we're going to need them. Yeah, no, not exactly a win-win. Um, <laughs> so uh, you're talking a little bit more about over in Europe, um, the European Central Bank, you know, they've committed to raising rates in July. Yep. Um, do you think that this pressures the Fed here inside the U.S.? And the only reason it's not going to is because we've already priced in several rate increases. Um, you know, so, you know, we're recording this on the Thursday before we get our CPI release on Friday. Um, you know, there's every indication that the bond market's pricing and it's going to be an elevated number and they've already priced in an additional hike. So the U.S. has already tightened financial conditions significantly. That's why we've seen the dollar be so strong. So that gives the Fed a little more leeway and in, in even pausing. Um, the real difficulty for the ECB is, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a worse outcome. They came out and said they're going to tighten financial conditions. Their equity market sold off and their currency sold off and their their economies are, are clearly entering recessionary windows, and you know we saw a significant spike in, in, in kind of what I'd call the intermediate term of the bond yield curve. At about 10 years, we saw spikes kind of across the board, just really ugly, not good. All right, so one uh, other thing we want to talk about here today is, is energy. Um, you know, it seems like week over week, energy continues to rise. Um, and really, we're starting to see the energy sector, um, looking at kick sectors, it's really begun to gap out um, against the rest of the 10 sectors. You know, do you think that this type of delta is sustainable? We see some reversion. Where are we going to go from here? So I, I wish I, I thought we would get some relief in energy prices. And if we do... Um, you know, it'll, I think it'll be relatively short-lived. Uh, you know, clearly, investors, uh, traders have gotten long commodities in the energy space, and they may book profits just in general if the market continues to correct. That said, when we really look at the underlying fundamentals, we massively underinvested in our energy infrastructure globally. We have chosen policies that don't encourage fossil fuel production. And coming into this year, we were not producing a sufficient level of fossil fuels to keep energy prices where they were, maintain the existing level of growth, and fund a transition to renewables. And so, you know, Russia-Ukraine has further exacerbated that situation We've seen barrels come off the mar market, not just from production declines that are that are going to start to are starting to occur now within Russia, but because we change shipping routes, it adds to the amount of oil you need, just as the transportation fuel. But it also ties up more barrels on the market. Um, so unfortunately, I think this issue is with us, and I don't expect, barring you know something happening to Putin and. The world decides that Russia is going to be a good actor and they can reintegrate into the economy, that we're going to get any resolution. And time's not on our side in that, in that instance. And OPEC's been very upfront about their ability to increase supply. They can on the margin, but not significantly. And they also need very high energy prices because they're all going to be bidding for food 
and other imports, and they're going to have to outbid the U.S. and Europe. So, um, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to get a reprieve. And investors need to remember, you know, we're looking at, let's say, $120 oil, and we're trying to equate that to the last cycle high of 140 That's not the right way to look at it. We have massively expanded the money supply. Inflation is much higher. If you want to do it on an apples-to-apples basis, the old 140 equals 250 which is, again, why we haven't seen the demand destruction yet. So now oil prices can definitely move move higher from here. Um, let's round up today's talk conversation with a little bit of recession talk um, as we're you know barreling through to the end of the second quarter. Yeah. You know, are there any indicators that you follow that are showing signs of contraction? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, consumption's definitely decelerating quickly, as we thought. Um, we've seen even the uh, Fed forecast or for the second quarter that we're probably north of two or are now barely north of one, and depending on these CPI prints, may, may come even lower. And so consumption starting to wane. We've seen the spike in consumer credit. The bulls will point to that as the consumer's healthy. The bears will just point out, yeah, they ran out of savings and cash and food and energy went up, so they went to their credit cards. And, and the problem with inflation running hotter than wages is it's a cumulative negative impact. So eventually it just weighs down consumption. Um, and the slowdown we've seen in housing is still there. It's rolled over. We're starting to see it in autos. Um, so clearly the U.S. is on a glide path where we could enter recessionary conditions in the first half of 2023. If the D cell is much sharper than we think, there's the potential for that in the fourth quarter. Um, if you look broadly kind of at global activity, China's trying to bottom. Um, Japan is trying to bottom as well. The question's going to be, are they just going to bottom from excessive um, exports and excessive goods consumption from prior years and not deteriorate further? Or are they really going to inflect higher? Europe is clearly heading into recessionary conditions or the window where growth is so low that it can tip into recession, and the U.S. is not that far behind. So we definitely need to pay close attention to the data. Employment data has been good, but it's starting to soften as well as we, as we would expect. Um, it's a very lagging indicator, and as such, with the D-cell we've seen the last three months, we should see employment conditions begin to soften. All right, good. Well, that's a lot to cover today. So thank you so much, um, and we will catch you on here soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson strategies.